0: Alright, so uh, this we're in a series, uh, we started last week on uh, Walking by the Spirit. It's a series on the who the Holy Spirit is and how He interacts with our lives. I'm going to read the scriptures from this morning, so hear the word of the Lord. Galatians 4 and Romans 8, from Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 8, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Adopted. On October 19th, uh, 2017, Becky and I stood in a crowded judge's chambers uh, with Becky's brother, Steve Lorenzen, and um, his wife, Shelly, their three teenage kids, and the three young sibling group that had been living with them as foster kids for about a year. We stood in that crowded chamber. And they raised their right hands and pledged, and then the judge did something amazing. With the stroke of a pen, he made Felipe and Chase and Kenya Lorenzans for life. There was basically not a dry eye in the room. On that day, after spending 1,199 days in the foster care system, living in a variety of different homes where they had spent most of their young lives... They now belonged permanently to a new family. They, they got new birth certificates, new social security numbers. It is as though they had always been a Lorenzen. When Felipe, who was four at the time, was asked by his, uh, his new mom, what does adoption mean, Felipe? He said, it means we can stay together. We can have fun days. We can play together. And you love us. And you love us. John one three to three, first John three one says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God." And so we are, loved ones really only one thing I'm wanting you to remember, to walk away with, to allow to affect your heart, to change your soul, and that is that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this morning, right now, at this very moment, you are a son and a daughter of the King. That you belong to a father. That you have been adopted. You too, like Felipe, like Kenya, like Jace, have been adopted by God Almighty. And one of the ways in which we see this picture is that we've been adopted in We've been adopted in a state of adoption, in a place of adoption by Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4 to 5, as we just read, says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So there was a specific moment that Jesus was sent by God, and what did he do? He came, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God the Father sends Jesus the Son into the world to redeem us, to buy us back. To what end? Why does Jesus die on the cross to redeem us, to pay for us, to to buy us back for what? So that we might receive adoption as sons, as daughters. Now, I think many of us think of salvation, at least at the beginning, as something something that was taken off of us, right? Something that we put off. Something that was put away. We, we think about Jesus died for my sins so that I can now forgiven. And it's true. And it really is true. We we're just thinking about it this morning. But there's more. The moment we became a Christian, something more significant and as, as, as powerful as just forgiveness is not just that our guilt was taken off. It's not just that we had a change in status that is more significant. Verse 5 says, this is at that same moment there was another legal part of that transactions. Something was put on us. It means that we don't just get pardon; we get adoption. It means that we have a new legal status, that we have a new birth certificate in Jesus. You are sons and daughters of God. Legally, through his son, and the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, you were adopted. And what Jesus does is give you the full rights as sons and daughters. So that's what Jesus does. He redeems us. He, he, he makes it true that we are sons and daughters of God. And what about the Spirit? Because verse, verse 5 points to the work of Jesus in redeeming, but verse 6 invites us into a whole new reality. The Spirit is not sent to redeem. He's sent to cry out. The result's not a a legal, objective status as adopted sons and daughters, but he's offering the subjective experience of sonship. Abba, Father. The Spirit is inviting us into an experience of God. And I think that, honestly, I think that verse 6 of Galatians 4 is one of those marvelous scriptures, one of those beautiful verses Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit goes inside, into our hearts, the Scripture says. And the Spirit's job is to give us an experience of God, an experience of a father. The Spirit's job is to help us feel like sons and daughters son's job is to make us sons and daughters, whether we feel like it or not, or whether we feel like it's happened or not. It's the Spirit's job to help us take that reality and subjectively know it by experience, to understand it at the depth of our soul. That's what he does. So this morning, we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at what it means to have the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. What does it mean to be adopted the spirit of adoption being upon us. I think it means three things. One is that we have intimacy with God, intimacy with our Father. Two, that we have assurance from God. And three, that we have an inheritance from God. So we have intimacy, we have assurance, and we have inheritance. First, we have intimacy. Verse six again, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Abba. Father. Crying, Abba, Father. That, that crying word is is a, it's not one of those like, hi, kind of No, this is like an emotive, loud screaming. It's actually the same word that's used on the cross when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says he's cried out. It's not just cried a little bit. No, no, it's a declaration. It's emotional. It's It's large. It's significant. It's a declaration of something significant. It's a profound passion. It's not, hey, Abba. It's not half-hearted. It's a cry. Abba! Abba! Abba, Father. The Spirit who pours out his life causes us to say Abba, to say Papa. And how many of you guys have heard sermons about Abba? The word Abba and Abba. Uh, it's funny. A lot of people talk about what it means, and there's a lot of discussion about how how colloquial it is. It's it's an Aramaic term, right? It's a word that's Aramaic, and it's kind of strange that it would be in a Greek text like this, other than the fact that it's the word that Jesus kept using. It's a word. It's a word that little kids use for their parents, for their dad. It's it's Papa. It's it's Daddy. It's intimate. No Jews in the day of Jesus prayed to God with that kind of a term. Jesus was revolutionary in showing his disciples that whenever he talked to God, he talked to him as Abba. And the, girl, and the disciples heard Jesus talk to him that way, and they'd never heard anything like that. And so the disciples, when Jesus ascended, found themselves recording the reality of what it means to pray to God as Abba. Father. And when we say Abba, when we say Papa, it is it is the very words that were on the lips of Jesus that we're just recounting, restating to Him. What I'm trying to say is that Abba is the term that a little child uses. And you don't, a child doesn't doubt a parent a child doesn't doubt his father or his, his mother. They have to be taught to doubt, right? They have to be taught to doubt that they're loved. And at some point, we were all taught to doubt maybe we're not loved, right? Not from the beginning. A child instead, when they when they trust their father, they just come and they just raise their hands up. Papa, take me. Pick me up. A child assumes That he or she is that important. Assumes that they certainly want to come and do anything we could for them. Kids don't come to their parents and say, Excuse me, sir. If you don't mind, if it's not too much trouble, that's not how it works, is it? Kids just come and say, Daddy. One of the best illustrations I have of that, because you know my kids are grown now, um, has been having a grandson who I love like a dad. And uh, maybe you've seen him toddling about, he's about 20 months, his name's Silas. And uh, what's awesome about Silas is that he doesn't know the rules of our family. And by that I mean, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for years and years and years now, and I train my kids and maybe my wife a little bit to like, don't talk to me on Sundays. Like when I'm here, like... Like, you're the family, i see you after, you know? Like, uh, I'm, I'm here to be with you guys, and so so they know, right? You guys know better. You just don't come and ask me questions. Don't come talk to me about life, whatever. I'll talk to you later, right? Because I'll see you later because you're family, and I love you. So, okay, there's maybe some issues there, but we don't have time for that, okay? <laughs> so, all right, just leave that alone. But Silas, he doesn't know the rules. So on Sunday mornings, it's happened with some of you. I'm in the middle of a conversation. We're talking about these deep things of God, and you're like, we're like discussing theology. You're weeping about the... And Silas just walks up and he goes, Pa! That's his version of Pops, which is what I'm called. And it's Pa! And he just he comes right up. He'll, he'll, he'll pull on my leg or whatever. It's happened, right? Some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about? He doesn't know the rules. You know why? It's because he trusts that I love him. And you know what? He wins. <laughs> like, if we're having a serious conversation, I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, like, because yeah. I want him to know that I love him and I'm responding to the reality of the fact that he is like a son and I'm just like, I'm a father, grandfather to him, and he has no idea that he's breaking the rules. And for now, he can get away with it. (laughs) That's what it means to have intimacy with a father. child just knows that you love them and knows you can be trusted. And that's what the Spirit wants to show us about who God is in himself. That's what the Spirit does. He He invites us into the intimacy of the Father. Abba, Father, cries with us, cries for us. Abba, Father, do you believe this? Do you know this by experience? Because to the degree in which we know that we have that kind of intimacy, that kind of access to our Father, to that degree, are we free from the kind of, the kind of criticism derailing our lives? kind of obsession, the kind of drivenness, the kind of compulsive behavior. We believe and we know that we have access to God as Father. J.I. Packer, in his amazing book, Knowing God, writes this. He says, you sum up the whole New Testament teaching, which is a very bold statement, you sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of Of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and knowing God as his father if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayer and the whole outlook of life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Listen, father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. What, what Packer's saying is it doesn't matter if you have a master's in theology. It doesn't matter if you've taught 30 years of Bible, of Bible school training or of classes. It doesn't matter if you have like a special pin for your special attendance to church every week. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you relate to God as Father. And if you don't relate to God as Father, and you, then you really don't understand the depth, the, the plumb, you have not plumbed the depths of the beauty of what our faith really is. You're in the shallows, and you're missing out on that depth. And potentially, or maybe more likely, you're possibly living as an orphan or a slave. Seems drastic, right? Man, if I don't get that, orphan or slave? Well, that's what Paul says. In verse 15 of Romans 8, he compares sonship to slavery. He says, you're either a son or you're a slave. Verse 15 says... For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Did you catch those two words? No, don't, you don't fall back into slavery. No longer a slave. This is where we all come from. This is the natural state without God. Slavery most often manifested in Fear. Fear of God's judgment, fear of the uncertainty of what we are and who do we matter, do we exist for any purpose? A slave and an orphan. See, a son has a father, but a a servant or a slave has a master. A servant could never call his master father, ever. There's distance and formality. You relate to God as a Boss or, or a master. The orphan has no father and has to take care of himself. Not just a boss trying to earn, not just an employee or a servant trying to earn something, but but trying to take care of himself. And you think about the the prodigal son, right? The story in Luke 15 of the of the prodigal. He he's he starts off as an orphan, right? He's out there in the uh, in the um, the pigsty. And he's trying to take care of himself. He left with the father's money, but he's trying to take care of himself in the pigsty, and suddenly he's like, wait a minute, why am I living like an orphan? I'm, my dad has, has way more power and money than I'm experiencing right now, and like, even his servants are better taken care of. And so he heads home, and he says, aha, I have an idea. I'm going to leave the orphan life, and I'm going to become a slave. I'm going to become a servant. So he comes and he has a plan to say, I'm going to become your servant. I'm going to pay you back or try to at least earn back some kind of favor and, and maybe in some way, shape or form, I can find a home here again as a servant, as a slave. You see, that's not the intimacy of the father. And, and I think this is probably, obviously, maybe one of the most famous and most powerful parables in the scriptures is because we see God, the father, described as a father, and he runs to the son, right? He sees him in a far off country, he sees him far away, and he runs to him, and, and he says, listen, we're going to get sandals for your feet, and we're going to put a cloak on your back, we're going to put a ring on your finger, and then he does what? He says that he embraced him, and he kissed him. That's the intimacy of the Father. That's not what the hired men get. They don't get the kiss of the Father, but the intimacy of the Father is one who gets the kiss of the Father even when you have been run away to a far-off country. Some of you have a really hard time, probably because you have real challenges relating to God as father because of your bad or poor experience of fatherhood, right? That's always the case. All of us had imperfect fathers, that's true across the board. All of us are imperfect fathers, by the way, across the board. We need Jesus, our kids will need Jesus. But some of us had really rough experiences with fathers. And the notion of trying to think of God as someone that I can be intimate with as a father is is truly challenging. And yet it is the avenue to the heart of God. You can't just think of him as king. You can't just think of him as a good shepherd. Those are all really important things, but they are not the ultimate vehicle by which God invites your heart to be connected to him. It is through fatherhood of God. So the invitation is not to ignore it, but to step towards it to move towards God and the picture of fatherhood that we see between him and Jesus, between the Father and Christ throughout the Gospels, the intimacy of that relationship, the ways in which God invites you to trust him as a good and perfect father. The image of a good father will seep into your bones, and the Spirit's commitment is to breathe it in you that the Spirit is going to cry out in you and through you, Abba, Father. You have help. And maybe you've never availed yourself of the power of the Spirit to, for your heart to agree that God is a good Father, but that's one of the gifts that He is to you. Lean in to Him. A son obeys out of love, but a servant obeys out of fear. And an orphan obeys himself out of self-preservation. We are sons, we have, and daughters, we have intimacy with the Father. So the spirit of adoption is a spirit who gives us intimacy with God as Father. He also gives us assurance. We have assurance. Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit himself bears witness or testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When we cry out to God as Abba, the spirit of god comes alongside and with our spirit he gives us assurance that we truly are in the family of god now there's lots of debate about what the testifying means about what what is the spirit actually doing as he's testifying about the fact that god is that we are sons of god but we know this that some form of an inner witness in our hearts a sense of yes i am one who belongs to God. Yes, I am one who is loved by God. You'll notice that the that our own spirits in this verse is already testifying. Right? It's testifying with our spirits that we are sons of God. What that means is that we've begun the process. By grace, we've gotten to see the movement of God in our lives, right? We, we're bearing witness with our own spirit. Yes, I'm not the same as I was before. I'm, I'm seeing changes. I have moments where I, I experience the delight of God and a measure of confidence that I really am one who belongs to God. Paul says that the Spirit comes alongside, and he testifies also testimony of the Spirit to our very hearts, of the presence and the love of God for us, and to us, and it's assurance. Now, we don't get this all the time, and even that often, necessarily. It may not even be that strong of a feeling, but there are times when we cry out, Abba, that we find ourselves deeply assured that we He really is our Abba, that He really is our Father. And that's the Spirit's work, testifying for us and testifying to us that we truly are sons and daughters of God. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says, what Paul is saying is that even in the darkest hour, there is a cooperative and affirming testimony given by the Spirit. So even in the darkest hour, though he may be broken and bruised, tossed about with fears and doubts, the child of God nevertheless, in his need, cries out, Father, as instinctively as a child who has fallen and been hurt, calls out in a similar language, Daddy, help me. Assurance of sonship is not reserved for the highly sanctified Christian. It is the birthright of even the weakest and most oppressed believer. This is its glory. Whew. You don't have to have your life together. You, you don't have to be the most impressive, sanctified Christian. This is the reality of what the Spirit offers you right now, is that you belong to God. You, It is well with your soul as a son of the Father. That's his gift to you. He's speaking it into your heart. You see, because the slave, the, the orphan, operates out of a performance-based acceptance, right? That's how you know you're sure is that you're doing a good job, and that's how you know you're doing well at your job, right? Did you meet the quota, or, or did you not? Well, if you didn't, maybe you shouldn't have assurance, right? You might lose your job. But that's not how it works with the Lord. Our assurance is based on the work of another, testified by the work of another. It, it's, a, it's a gift. I think, honestly, that's one of the challenges I've had in preparing this sermon is realizing that all of it has to be received, you seen that in these passages? There's actually nothing I can put into you, I and mean, there's truth, the truth, reality of it. But but he's going to have to do it, and and I have no control over that. Just you know, reality anyway. But but there's a sense, right, of like you should be able to go, okay, cool. So what do I need to do to get the Spirit to testify, Abba, Father, to me? The Scripture doesn't give you anything to do other than to ask to receive. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. To ask to receive to reflect and remember. Assurance is one of the, one of those things that nobody else in any other religion can have. You're not allowed to have assurance because you never know if you can have it because you don't know if you've been good enough. It's like somebody saying, so how do you know you're, you know if you're a Christian? He's like, well, I'm trying hard. It's like, well, then you don't, don't know that you're a Christian because it's not about trying hard. It's about belonging to one who has done perfectly for us. Assurance is a secret of the Christian life. It's the uniqueness of the adopted life that, that um, Felipe and Jace and Kenya never have to worry about going to another home again that their name has been sealed. It is Lorenzen now forever. In the same way you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and you belong to God and it doesn't matter what kind of a mess you make. Isn't that crazy? It doesn't matter what kind of a mess you make. You can go out today and wreck your life and two years from now come back and say, Lord, I've wrecked my life and you can call him Abba and he will say, you belong to me all along. I mean, isn't that crazy? You have the freedom to make a mess of your life. I mean, don't. It's miserable, it's terrible, but you belong to God. And some of you have, you know this, you've gone out and you've made a mess of your life, or you've made some massive mistakes, and you, you were ignoring the voice of the Spirit that was trying to call Abba Father, and you've been able to come home, haven't you? Because you belong to the family through Christ. You've been adopted, never to be changed again. You have a new birth certificate, and it says Jesus on it. So we have an intimacy, we have an assurance, and we have an inheritance. Verse 7 of Galatians 4, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 8, 17 says, and if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of with Christ, I mean, you talk about just a declaration over you. You're heirs. It's not you're just not just groveling around as a forgiven person who hopefully is not going to screw up again. You're you're princes and princesses of God. Like you're, you're heirs. He has stuff for you, way more than you can imagine. A son is rich. A servant, a slave is poor. fact that we are both sons and heirs and since we are adopted placed into God's family through adoption we begin drawing on that inheritance now right now God has made available to us and the scriptures are riddled with it the riches of his grace in Ephesians 1 he's made available the riches of his glory in Philippians 4 the riches of his goodness in Romans 2, the riches of his wisdom in Romans 11, and all of the riches of God are found in Christ, Colossians 1 and Colossians 2. But look at 1 Corinthians 3, 21. He says, so let no one boast in men. Paul's trying to say, don't don't boast about who you connected to, what kind of power you have because of who you belong to. Don't, Don't boast in that. Listen, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All are yours. The, the, The degree to which that gets into our soul that we're not paupers, that we're princes, that, that we're not, that we're not beggars, that, that we have received and have available to us the riches of his grace, the riches of his power and his glory. It's an unbelievable claim that Paul says about all Christians that we are heirs of God. Heirs of God. Because because in that context, the heir is the one who gets the lion's share of the inheritance. And so somehow what Paul's saying is that as we receive the inheritance of God, as we become heirs of his, there is a way in which we are going to appropriate and experience the gifts of God, his, his blessings, his joy, his sufficiency, as though we're getting the lion's share of it without somehow being jealous of one another. For sons who are heirs move into the world knowing that they belong to their father. And all that the father has is theirs, and with more to come. Therefore, there is a marked confidence and a marked poise of those who know they've been adopted. Honestly, it's some of how we face stuff like the coronavirus showing up. Who do we belong to? Do we have a good father? has all the riches of his glory to offer us in Christ Jesus? We do. Trust him. Foundations of who we are as Christians is a realization of the fact that we are sons and daughters of a good father. That's the foundations of what it means to be a Christian is the that we are son- realization that we are sons and daughters of a good father. So how do we How do we position our hearts, how do we position our souls to live as sons and daughters? All of the language in the verses is all receiving language without any kind of like, and if you do these four things, then you're guaranteed. It's not that. It's all received. It's it's grace. So how do we position our hearts in the best possible way to receive that grace? Well, the first, I think, is that we pray that we ask the spirit that we would experience him bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of god it's what he does it's one of the reason why we're doing this sermon first out of all the other activities and the work of the spirit is because this is the foundation to the degree in which you know through the power of the Spirit that you are son and daughter of God, to that degree you're going to be able to walk through any of the other things in life and allow God to do amazing things. So you ask him, would you confirm in my spirit that I am a son, a daughter? The second one is, which by the way, in that moment, you have the opportunity to repent or confess, right? Are there any ways in which I'm grieving you, Holy Spirit? In ways in which I've got my fingers stopped in my ears and I don't want to hear what you're saying. It's an invitation, of course. The second is to remember the moments of intimacy and assurance that you've had in the past. Because, at least it seems in the scripture, that there's not this never-ending, constant experience of this. And we read through the, both the early Christians all the way through the, the Middle Ages. All, all the people that have experienced God and walked with Him They have times where they know, they know that they know that they belong to God through Christ Jesus as sons and daughters, and other times where there is dry and cold and uncertain. If you walk to Jesus, you know exactly what that's like, right? And so in the midst of those times when we're asking and longing for it, what we get to do is we go and remember the times in which that has been true. It's an Ebenezer, right? I mean, it's, it's stones of remembrance. It's what God invites us to over and over. Hey, remember what's true. Remember what I did here. So far you have been faithful, right? So I don't know what that looks like for you, but I was thinking about um, back in 1999, um, my wife Becky, she'd really, over most of her Christian life, had really struggled with doubt, doubting God's goodness, His presence, His faithfulness. And um, I was a bit of a Pharisee, so I always made her feel bad for it. So just bad. Anyway, but... um, but there was one particular night uh, in 99 where kind of her world got destroyed for a whole bunch of reasons, and she found herself up in the bedroom. Uh, Our daughter Haley woke up while she was really kind of going through a bunch of stuff, and uh, so she was all distraught, and here Haley wakes up crying, and so Becky goes in there, she tries to calm her down and puts on a little music CD thing, and it turns out it's one of those a cappella Christian songs that we had in there, and she's sitting there just rubbing Haley's back and crying herself about the pain that she's living in and experiencing. And um, she had this unmistakable experience of God holding her. Like like the Spirit just poured out on her heart in that moment, you are my daughter and I have you. And, And she's, I mean, if you ask her, she's never had a moment like that since, not that powerful. And you know what? She's never doubted in the same way again. That doesn't mean that there's not doubts that pop up, but but something got fundamentally and foundationally undone or redone or permanently done that has freed her. It wasn't a knowledge. It was the experience of a truth from the Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. And so I, I hope that you have those moments. I have a few of those moments, those really larger moments and then some smaller moments along the way. And so God invites us to remember those and say, that's true. Not to like try to like chase after an experience. That that's, that's not what God's about. He's not about trying to get you to chase after some experience. But to ask Him, and then to remember and recall the faithfulness of God, that on that day, in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that you were my Father, and that you were good, and that you loved me. And lastly, we rehearse the objective reality of our adoption. We can't control the subjective reality of when the Spirit's going to breathe that, but we can rehearse the objective reality. We can say, Abba, I belong to you. One of the things that Brennan Manning taught me through his books is the reality of what does it mean? What does it mean to declare to God, to allow your breathing to match? Abba, I belong to you. I may not feel it right now, but I want to declare as I begin my day, I belong to you. That's been one of my kind of rhythms of life. Abba, I belong to you, to breathe it in and out for minutes on time, on end. And the illustration that, that Brennan Manning uses in his book is talking to a woman who had had a terrible experience of of, of violence with a father and just could not connect to God on the from a, a father's standpoint. I wish she was a nun, actually. And he invited her over the course of a year to spend time just rehearsing, not that she couldn't feel it, but rehearsing the reality that she belonged to God as Abba. Abba, I belong to you. And he said he returned a year later and to see her face glowing and saying, I know him as my father now. It doesn't mean that it takes a year. It's not magic, but it's the opportunity to rehearse and to invite our hearts to align the objective reality and asking God for the subjective reality to be manifest in us. Through the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The, The reason we can cry, Abba, Father, is because there was a day where Jesus, his cry out was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he He was treated as though he was no longer part of the family so that we could be able to call God Abba. That's the great substitution, is that he forsook his sonship for the sake of bringing us in as sons and daughters. And so today, we get to look to him the, object, the ultimate objective truth that we get to look at when we think about I'm always sons or always daughters is Jesus on the cross saying, I am doing this so that you can be brought in. I, I am dying so that you can have life, and I'm becoming, I'm becoming rejected by the Father so that you can be received by the Father. That's, that's the reality in which we move. And so when we come to this table today, that's what you're going to be rehearsing, is that you can come. You can come as a son, as a daughter. You're received in Christ Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel. And so you're free. So let us rehearse the reality that we are sons and daughters of God as we come and receive this meal, remembrance of the son giving his life for us, that we would be called the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, we belong to you. You are our good father. Father, You have been and are faithful to us. And you declare to us today that we are your sons and daughters. And so, Father, what we want to ask is, through your Spirit, would you drive that in? Would you make it both objectively and subjectively true in ways that allow us to move out into the world with confidence and poise, with strength and buoyancy? Lord, we want more of you. We don't want just experiences, we want you. You are the prize. That's what we're heirs of. We're heirs of you. You're the gift. And so, Lord, would you allow us to receive, to be to be sure over and over again, reminded over and over again that we belong to you. And so we pray this by faith. We ask you for much mercy. In Christ's name, amen. Might take us a minute here to get the gloves on, everybody. But um, I'm just going to give us a minute. Just close your eyes, take a minute, and just ask God to allow this time to be significant to you that you would hear Abba, I belong to you from the Spirit.